0: good morning <coughs> good morning it's good to see everyone here this morning, morning. and uh, I'm just talking about the fact that the uh the, the days of warmth are are slowly coming to an end <laughs> but uh, but it's good to be here in the house of the Lord and we can fellowship here and uh, it's a wonderful a wonderful thing I uh, just want to welcome everyone here this morning and uh, I see we have all the periphery all filled up. we got a few few seats down here. I didn't know if I had said or done something, but uh, what's that? If you could, I would feel better. <laughs> uh, uh, we have a couple of announcements uh, that need to be made this morning. I would like to just uh, mention that uh, as, um, as if you watch the news, you know that. Uh, we still oh this is our public service announcement uh you all know that there's still a ton of covid going around and whether you're here or whether you're uh outside of the church or going to work or whatever i would just say just say uh, be safe and uh, and thoughtful of others and uh and that's that about that uh supper uh spaghetti supper tonight at uh, 6 p.m and uh, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't thought of it or know about it, uh, that will be tonight at six o'clock, and we're excited. We haven't had a supper for a while, and uh, we had uh, just had a conversation this morning. Uh, I have been uh, thinking and praying about it, and, uh, and uh, so we're also going to be having a, a little time of singing and, uh, and testimonies afterwards. Uh, we've done that in the past out here, but instead, since we have that Uh, nice space out back we're going to be uh out back and just kind of uh informal time of singing some old favorites and uh and having some testimonies we don't have a lot of opportunities for that since we don't have a regular sunday evening service but back in the day uh that was a, a real a real special time so anyways uh tonight if uh if you have, uh, if, you, if you're not uh, busy or even if you are busy and you can squeeze, you know, squeeze that a time, um, uh, would love to have you come. Uh, let's see. Business meeting on the 30th, uh, which will actually be the last day of September. Um, but uh, so we will be having that to discuss the uh, goings on of the church. And we do need to make that announcement a couple weeks in advance. Any other announcements this morning? Brian? Well, we're overrun with cans and bottles down below. Fantastic. All right. All right. Somebody will take care of that, I'm sure. Donna. Don't forget, there's a survey in your bulletin about
1: the new Bible study coming up. Got it? Put it out and turn it. Thank you.
0: Excellent. Any other, uh, any other uh, announcements this morning? So good to be here this morning. Yes. After nine years, we have a well. Okay. You have a well. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, that's something to be after not having water for 2 or 3 days when the electricity goes out or whatever. We all could appreciate water. So So well <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to go to the brook anymore whatever. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's right. Pump. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. And dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can be in your house today. And and we look around and and, uh, we see places where uh, there are usually people. And, uh, and for uh, one reason or another, we have some that are not here this morning, and uh, we don't know the reasons behind all of them, but you do. And we, we thank you that you are the God of creation, and you know our thoughts before we even think them. And you know when we're going through difficulties and when, uh, when, when life seems to beat up on us. And uh, so we pray that you would uh, watch over those that are not able to be here this morning uh, through whatever situation they're in and that you would uh, bring them back to us safely. We pray that you just watch over each one that is here today and as we're praying, as we go through difficulties of life and, and trials and tribulations, we just thank you for watching over us and protecting each one of us and bringing us through those difficulties. We pray that through those trials, that we would be made stronger in our faith. We pray that you would watch over our service this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through Ian this morning, and that everything that we say and do would be honoring and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 sometimes my mouth is dry sometimes it's not <clears throat> there our scripture reading this morning is found in psalm 116 if you'd like to turn there and follow along psalm 116 <clears throat> I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. That I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted, and in my dismay I said, All men are liars. How can I repay <clears throat> how can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O oh Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you in call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your presence, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word today. me. And our first song will be number 29. And Ian assures me that uh, even though we don't know the, uh, the uh, name of the song, we know the tune of the song. So let's stand and sing number 29. Verses. Mm-hmm.
1: Begin my tongue some heavenly theme and speak some boundless thing. The mighty word. Far abroad sing the sweet promise of his grace the love and truth of God his very word of grace is strong as that which built the skies
0: may be seated. Thank you. That one's a little higher. And uh, would the ushers come forward for the uh, morning offering, please? And if you have any uh, prayer requests, if you'd like to just uh, put them in the offering plate as it comes by.
1: from whom all blessings flow.
0: you would remain standing and we'll turn to number seven in the green book in your uh, in the pew in front of you number seven
2: number seven this is God the uncreated one and it's uh, it's a new one so we'll sing verse oh, no. we'll, That's what I thought. okay you'll, <laughs> you'll sing uh, we'll sing verse one a couple of times
3: of sand knows the heart of every man I, the one whom angel hosts revere hung the stars like chandeliers numbered every grain of sand and our strength the rock on which we can depend matchless in his majesty his power and authority unshaken by the schemes of man never changing great i am kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall He is faithful through it all. Crown Him King forever. Crown Him King forever. Crown Him King King forevermore. Mighty God in mortal flesh, forsaken by a traitor's kiss. Of sin and centuries did pierce the lowly prince of peace, lifted high the sinless man, crucified the spotless lamb, buried by the sons of men, rescued by the Father's hand to raise. highest praise heaven shouts and saints adore your holy, holy, holy Lord what joy and everlasting life all is love and faith this sight justice rolls and praises rise at the name of Jesus Christ
2: Seated. Good singing. I'm, I'm always impressed by how fast you guys pick up on new songs. That sounded great. <laughs> Thank you, Dean. What would we do without you? (laughs) We're going to take some time now to to go to the Lord in prayer. Got a few prayer cards in the offering. Uh, Any other requests, praises, thanksgivings? Yeah, Brian. Uh, Prayer for the congregation. We have a problem, which I'm not going to talk about, but I pray maybe we've got more than one problem. I think we've got a lot of problems, Brian. (laughs) Okay. We'll we'll pray a general prayer for our congregation. Other requests, praises, thanksgivings? Matt. I have some uh, upcoming substantial life work decisions to make, so wisdom. Okay. Wisdom for Matt as he's making decisions about life and work and where to go next. Anita. You may have a cat, but Stevie Matthews underscore my cousin. Okay. Yeah, we'll pray for Steve Matheson's family. An accident this past week out of the blue. So we'll we'll pray for them. Amanda. I might praise. This
0: last week, my boyfriend's dad, David, um, got lifelike down to Portland for a 9% blockage in his heart. And they were able to clear that out and take care of the
2: pneumonia he had as well. And he's home now. Wonderful. Wow. All right, well, we'll we'll send up a praise for David. Anything else? Nancy. All right, we'll pray for our country. Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Anyone else? Connie Connie Dyer. Okay, we'll pray for Connie. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray as the psalmist prayed. To you, O Lord, we lift up our souls. O our God, in you we trust. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty because everything that is in the heavens above and in the earth below is yours. We are yours, God. Yours is the kingdom and you are exalted as king above all. And so now we thank you, God, and we praise your great and your glorious name. As we come into your presence and and acknowledge your glory and your holiness. We confess, Lord, that we have fallen short of your glory, that we've wandered and strayed from your ways like lost sheep or sinners. We very often follow too much the desires and the devices of our own hearts. We've offended against your holy laws. We've left undone undone those things which we ought to have done, and we've done things we ought not to have done. And so we ask, Lord, that you would have mercy on us, that you'd restore all those who come to you in repentance to confess and to seek forgiveness according to the promises which you've declared unto all people through Jesus. And we pray all this, Lord, we bring our sins into your presence with assurance, knowing the promises of Scripture that for all those who confess their sins, who bring their sins into the light, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness in Jesus' name. And we know all that because Jesus told us, because Scripture assures us, and it's our joy and our relief to come to you this morning, Lord, and to trust you for everything in our Christian life, our forgiveness, our justification, our adoption, our eternal home with you. And we ask that you would grant us, Father, that day by day as we grow in our knowledge of who you are and as we grow in our walk with the Spirit that, uh, that you'd be killing sin in our lives, that day by day we'd look more like Jesus. Grant that, we pray. In Jesus' name. We come to you this morning, Lord, with, with uh, much to be thankful for. Many reasons to praise you, and also many needs to bring before you. Uh, we lift up uh, the Matheson family, Lord. What a shock! Uh, that must be for them, uh, and for for all those who knew Steve and loved Steve. We pray for Anita and Alvin as they mourn. We pray for Steve's immediate family as well, for his uh, his wife Sheree. Pray that you'd comfort those who mourn, as you promise you will. We lift up uh, Alvin's friend in in Auburn who has cancer, Dick Pines. Uh, we pray that you'd bring healing to his body. I don't know the state of his soul, Lord, but I pray that you'd be using this trial to bring him closer to Jesus, that as he faces the prospect of cancer, uh, that he would uh, he would look to you, Jesus, for hope, that you would be his hope both in life and in death. We lift up uh, Gerald Barley's family as well. He passed away uh, suddenly. We, uh, we pray that you'd be with them, that you'd comfort them uh, in their time of loss. Lord, we lift up uh, uh, Matt Wilson. We thank you for him and for his family. Pray that you'd continue to to heal their family uh, as they mourn, and uh, pray that you'd give Matt guidance as he's seeking what's next in in terms of his work life, that you'd give him guidance and clarity, that uh, you'd give him wisdom as well, that he'd be able to see clear steps, next steps in the next months and weeks. Lord, we thank you for uh, this, uh, this gentleman, David, uh, who um, had a health scare, um, a heart blockage, and uh, and within a week, uh, it's all over, and he's home, and he's well. We thank you for that, Lord, uh, and uh, we ask that you'd be at work in his life. We lift up uh, our country, Lord, as Nancy has asked for us to do. We, we know that you encourage us, through the Apostle Paul, to lift up prayers for all those who are in high places, kings and emperors, and uh, that we would be able to live peaceful and quiet lives uh, so that uh, your gospel would be able to go forth un- unhindered. So we, we ask, Lord, your blessing on this nation. Um, we ask that you'd be at work. Uh, there's, there's much, Lord, that we could talk about in terms of what, what's wrong with, with our nation and with this world. Uh, and we know the ultimate answer is only through you. And so we ask, Lord, that in the coming years and months, whatever may come, that you'd equip the the Christians, the churches of this nation, uh, to be bold and steadfast in our witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that you, Father, would bless us with the presence and the power of your Spirit, that many would come to know you and find healing for their deepest wounds at the cross. We pray, Jesus, as you taught us to pray, hallowed be thy name on earth as it is in heaven, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray, Lord, that for our country, that your will would be done and that your kingdom would come in the United States of America and in Maine. And we pray, as we have been praying the last few months, that you'd bring revival to Maine in our lifetime that you'd build healthy churches, Lord, and that um, your gospel would go forth, that that New England once again would be a a light on a hill. Finally, we pray for our congregation. We pray for this church body. Um, Thank you, Lord, for the witness, consistent witness, that this church has been in liberty for so many years. We pray that you'd continue that legacy among us, uh, Lord, we we pray for revival even, uh, even in our own midst. Pray that you'd be at work in our hearts. We know that uh, that's where revival begins, real revival. Uh, it's the new birth. It's spiritual life by your spirit, and so we ask that you'd bring that among us. Pray that we'd be walking in obedience to you, Lord, that we wouldn't stifle your spirit, but that we'd walk uh, in confession and repentance, that you'd be Um, teaching us to mortify sin, that you'd be giving us new life and joy in your spirit. We pray, Lord, that you'd bring many people to faith in the coming days and weeks as a result of the ministry of this church and of the Christians that are here. pray that you'd help us, Lord, as we... um, uh, as we live in community. I thank you for the supper that's going to happen tonight. Pray that you that you'd grant that it'd be a sweet time of fellowship. Um, and uh, I pray, Lord, that we'd be more than just a social club, but that we'd be genuinely invi- involved in one another's lives, caring for one another in our times of need, and also caring for one another in our own spiritual lives. Lord, we know we all we've all got blind spots. We're all part of the body, but not all of us are ears, not all of us are noses, not all of us are big toes. So we ask, Lord, that you'd, um, you'd help us to walk in community that, that way, that we'd bear with one another, with one another's weaknesses, and that uh, you'd be building us up uh, into the body of Christ, that we'd attain maturity. Thank you for your presence among us this morning. We we're excited for what you're going to do. Uh, we ask that you would be at work, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's right. I should have written that down. Let's pray. Um, Father, we, uh, we thank you for our sister Allison, who's not able to be with us this morning. We pray that you grant her a rest, um, as she's been caring for her sister in this past week. We pray for Andrea, who, as far as I know, is, is back in the hospital. Um, sent uh, via ambulance because she fell this morning. So we pray for Andrea, pray that you'd bring healing to her body and that you'd, Lord, that you'd comfort her soul with the good news of Jesus, that she'd cast herself on you in repentance and faith.
0: We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our final song before the message is 337, Nothing But the Blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's stand and sing 337. We'll sing the first and the last verses.
1: Wide as though, no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. You may be
0: seated. One and four. Thank you. You may be seated.
2: Most of you are probably familiar with one of the great scenes from the Old Testament scriptures with King David before the ark. Maybe you remember, At last, the, the ark of the covenant was coming back to Jerusalem and David was over the moon because the presence of God over the ark was at last going to be dwelling amongst the people again. For a while, the ark had been in the custody of the Philistines, uh, Israel's enemies. But now it was back, and so David literally danced before the ark. He was doing a jig. God was coming near, so David hurled himself into the street, twirling himself in abandon in a most embarrassing dance. Embarrassing, that is, if if his dancing is anything like mine. david wasn't scared silly he was excited silly he was overjoyed so he danced with undignified joy before the ark much to the chagrin of his wife michal who saw his dancing as a disgrace to the dignity of the office and to her dignity as his wife to michal David's joyful worship of God was embarrassingly extravagant. Embarrassingly extravagant. Who was right? Was David's dance appropriate? You bet. bet. (laughs) The ark was back. God was coming near. What else could be more fitting than for the king to throw a party in the street and dance? But Michal missed it because sacrificial devotion to God is often despised or misunderstood. When the world sees Christians devoting themselves with abandon to Jesus, Sacrificing time, money, resources, career, home, family, weekend in loving and following Jesus? It looks silly. If you don't believe in God, why dance before the ark? But though it often looks silly, it's actually a very beautiful thing to pour out one's life, one's treasures one's very self, in worshiping and in loving God. It's a beautiful thing to give to Jesus. That's our big idea this morning. It's a beautiful thing to give to Jesus. And we're going to see that truth on display in our passage this morning. You can turn with, with me there if you'd like. Mark 14. Mark 14, and we'll be starting in verse 1. These events took place only days before Christ's crucifixion. And as you'll hear, the pieces were already falling into place for his betrayal. But in the midst of these dark occurrences, with friends and Pharisees whispering in the dark corners of Jerusalem, Jesus had dinner. He sat down and he dined with friends. And a woman did a beautiful thing. And we're going to read about that beautiful thing she did. So let's read the passage together and then we'll pray. Mark 14, beginning in verse 1. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or people may, the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table, In the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you. For how week after week, we meet Jesus here. And through Jesus, we meet you, our Heavenly Father. And we thank you for how your Holy Spirit is at work among us. As we read, and as we sing, and as we proclaim, and hear, and obey your word. We ask that you would keep us this morning from a dry, parched reading from your word. That you'd show us the rivers of life that are available here. You'd quench our thirst on the living waters of your word. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our passage this morning is another of what one commentator calls a Markin sandwich. A Markin sandwich. Um, it begins with plans to betray Jesus in verses 1 and 2, and then it closes with plans to betray Jesus in verses um, uh, t- uh, 10 and 11. So it's it's like a sandwich, right? You've got betrayal on either side, betrayal for bread, um, with a beautiful scene at the center. On either side, the darkness of betrayal with the beautiful light of giving in between. We'll start with the betrayal, verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. We've been following all along the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders, and now the conflict is coming to a head. By now, the chief priests and the scribes and all the religious officials had decided it was time to be done with this Jesus. He was too much of a threat to their position. He was too critical of their hypocrisy. He was too willing to speak truth to power. We have Jesus on record as calling them vipers, hypocrites, and whitewashed tombs. He said that when they taught, they made their students twice as much children of hell as themselves. On one other occasion, he actually called them children of Satan. So they had a bone to pick with Jesus. And their latest attempts to trip him up in front of the people had had backfired. Instead of making Jesus look like a fool, Jesus had turned around the situation and made the religious leaders to look the fool. And all the people loved him and listened to him all the more. So here we see that the scribes and priests had decided more drastic action would have to be taken. More than words would have to be used to bring Jesus down. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. But they weren't stupid about it, verse two, for they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. During the feast of the Passover, there's thousands of Jews visiting Jerusalem. All of the high feasts were like this. Jerusalem would swell with pilgrims from all over uh, Judea and Samaria, coming to the temple. And the priests worried that if they killed Jesus during the feast, and there is a great public outcry, that they wouldn't actually be able to contain the riots afterwards. The streets are so filled with people. So we're told their original plan was to wait until after Passover. But they were determined Jesus would have to be arrested and killed. So those are the storm clouds gathering. Right? The scene has been set. And Jesus, fully aware that all of this is coming, right? He's been predicting it for chapters, goes to dinner. In Bethany, outside of Jerusalem, he's reclining at table with his friends. It's worth noting in verse 3 that Jesus dined in the house of Simon the leper. Simon the leper. We've talked about leprosy before, it's a skin disease, it's highly stigmatized at the time. No self respecting Jew would even dare to get near a leper. Um, Social distancing was strictly enforced with the lepers, let alone to dine in their houses. Now, it's likely here that Simon was a former leper who is still known as Simon the leper. Um, The likeliest case is that Jesus had probably healed Simon at some point. We know Jesus healed a number of lepers and that probably what Simon is doing here is he's welcoming Jesus into his home as a thank you for all of his help. We don't know that for sure. Regardless of the exact circumstances, what we have here is another example of Jesus' example to love people whom his culture despised. Lepers, even former lepers, were off limits. They're people to be avoided, but not for Jesus, He went out of his way at every turn during his ministry, even in these final weeks before his crucifixion, to love the marginalized, the poor, the sick, the outcasts. So we can be reminded, Jesus loves sinners. No matter our past, no matter our background, no matter our reputation, no matter what, Jesus dined with lepers, he'll dine with us. And while dining at this leper's table, something really startling happened. Verse 3. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came. woman came. The apostle John, in John 12, recorded that this woman was none other than Mary, sister of Martha, sister of Lazarus. Mark doesn't record her name here, Which actually makes sense because Mark hasn't mentioned Mary or Martha or Lazarus up till this point. The readers of Mark's gospel wouldn't have, it wouldn't have rung any bells, so Mark doesn't mention her. Mark obviously thought that the important thing in this passage was not who Mary was, but what Mary did. So what did she do? First, she approaches the table. In that culture, it would have been improper to have a woman interrupt the men as they were eating at table. But Mary did. She comes up to the table, and what she did next would only have been more shocking. A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Nard was a plant uh, a plant-derived oil that was often used in perfumes in the Roman Empire. And the plant that it's derived from only grows in the Himalayas. This is an, this would have been an imported product, shipped hundreds and thousands of miles. It would have been very costly. Later, so that later, the disciples remark that it could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, which today would be something like 30 or 40 thousand dollars. It's approximately a a year's wages for a worker, 300 denarii. So to to pour an entire flask of nard on Jesus' head was financially an extravagant thing, even a ludicrous thing, especially for these working-class people who worked so hard just to keep food on the table. It's extravagant. And it wasn't just extravagant financially. Those of you who use essential oils will know that concentrated oils are extremely fragrant just a couple of drops can have a powerful smell but to pour out an entire bottle that would have been overwhelming and that's just what mary did with a show of finality she not only opened the bottle but she broke it and poured all of it out on jesus in a moment, the whole house would have filled with the aroma of this extravagant gift. It would have been overwhelming. And the reaction from the disciples was swift. Verse 4, There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Woman, what are you doing, they asked with moral indignation. What a waste. What an irrational deed. What a ridiculous woman. And on one level, their logic makes sense, right? If I proposed at our next business meeting um, that we should spend thirty or $40,000 on flowers every Sunday, you'd say, that's probably a bit over the top. That's probably a little bit extravagant. That's probably a waste. Why would you waste so much money like that? For that amount, think of how much food we could put in the food pantry, how much we could give to the poor, those in need of heating oil this winter. And you'd be right, given our circumstances. But the disciples weren't correct, according to Jesus. Verse 6. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. A beautiful thing. The Greek word kalos underneath beautiful means good, fitting, right, lovely. It wasn't a wasteful thing, according to Jesus. It was just the right thing to do. It was fitting. Why? Why such extravagance on this occasion? Jesus explained, verse seven: For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. Saying this, something unique about this situation. Verse eight: She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. There are occasions when extravagance is good. At a wedding, you spend. A good amount of money on flowers that will wilt. Hopefully not $30,000, $40,000, right? But money, real money. On your anniversary, you're willing to spend good money on a really good meal that will last only a moment that you wouldn't buy on any other day of the year, right? Extravagant? Maybe, but fitting, right? Fitting the occasion. And on this occasion, the disciples were wrong to be stingy just like it would be wrong to be stingy with your wife on your anniversary. Because their God and King, their Messiah, was solemnly preparing to sacrifice his own body, his life for their sake. Christ, the King, was eating at their table and he had set his face towards the cross. His body would soon be broken and buried in in his ultimate act of love to save the human race from sin and death. And all the disciples could think about was the checking account. There are some occasions when, no matter how much you have, price is no object. This was one of those times. Little did the disciples understand all that Jesus was preparing to do. Little did they understand that Jesus was about to undertake the most momentous action to occur, not only in their lifetimes, but in all the history of the world up till that point. But they didn't get it, which is a pattern we've seen before from them. You may remember Mark 9, verse 31. He was teaching his disciples, saying to them, Get this through your heads, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying. They didn't get it yet, what Jesus had come to do. And they were afraid to ask him. They couldn't see what was happening. Mary could, somehow, apparently, maybe she'd heard jesus's teaching and understood it maybe she just had a sense that jesus was preparing for something significant she just felt it in the air we don't know we're not told what mary was thinking what we know is this she did a beautiful thing christ the king the son of god was about to die to bear in his body the sins of the world so mary anointed him for his burial she acknowledged the significance of what was to come. So she extravagantly poured out what must have been her most valuable possession. Some commentators speculate that this might have been an, a family heirloom. Right? This is a thing of immense value. And she poured it out, she broke it, worshiping the king she loved. And Christ honored that gift, verse 9. To my knowledge, Jesus doesn't say this about any other action in the New Testament. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. It's a beautiful thing to give to Jesus. Mark this, says Jesus, write it down. Proclaim her deed everywhere you proclaim my name because what she did is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to give to Jesus. And it's beautiful even when those looking on don't understand the occasion. The disciples criticized Mary for her extravagance in worshiping Jesus. They thought it was a waste. They thought it was a bit much. They were wrong, but they were loud about it. And on one level or another, if we're following Christ wholeheartedly, we're going to hear similar criticisms. From the world at large, from your friends, from your family. If they're not saying it, they're probably thinking it. That your faithfulness in attending church is a waste of a perfectly good weekend. That your desire to obey Jesus is all a bit much. That your strict adherence to his word is... Is something like religious extravagance. Those born againers, they may say, those Jesus freaks, those evangelicals, they're all a bit much with their Jesus stuff. The aroma is a bit powerful in here. Their whole deal with Jesus is a little extravagant. Consistent Christianity looks like religious extravagance to those who don't understand the occasion. If they understood, really understood, that we all live in God's world, that we're all accountable to him, that our sin condemns us before him, and that Jesus, the Son of God, died in love to save us, they too would not hesitate in throwing themselves in wholeheartedly to love and obey Jesus, God the Son who died to reconcile us to the Father. What looks like excess to the world is actually the rational, beautiful response of a grateful people to a loving God and His sacrificed Son. It's a beautiful thing to give to Jesus It's a beautiful thing to give your life over in obedience to Christ. It's often costly, but it's fitting and it's right for us to submit ourselves to our Savior and our King. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to give up your time to worship God on the Lord's Day, to sacrifice that extra weekend day to honor the one who died to to save us. It's a beautiful thing to adhere to God's word in the face of opposition from friends and family often painful, but it honors Christ. It's not a waste, none of it. It's a beautiful thing to give to Jesus. Costly, yes, but beautiful. And these are just some examples. Each of us is called to give our lives to God in unique ways, tailored to our specific circumstances and I want to encourage you this morning, if God is calling you to put something on, in your life on the altar, to f- sacrifice something of great value in order to love and obey God to a greater degree, it will never be a waste, no matter how excessive it may look to the watching world. If Christ is calling you to it, it will never be a waste, Go all in. Break the flask. Don't just pull the topper off. And pour out your life in loving and in serving Jesus. It's a beautiful thing to give to Jesus. What happened next was not so beautiful. Verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Inside that house glowing with lamplight, a woman did a beautiful thing. Slipping out the back door into the dark, Judas did an ugly thing, a deceptive thing, a selfish thing. The Apostle John's account of these events gives us a bit of insight into Judas's heart on this day—the day of his first betrayal of Jesus, the private betrayal. Later, he betrayed Jesus publicly with a kiss. I want you to listen for Judas's role in the complaint against Mary. Right? John, the Apostle John, records this in John 12, starting in verse four. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Looking for the instigator among the disciples? It was Judas. Verse 6 of John 12. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Judas is the one who instigated this complaint against Mary, not because he was thinking of the poor, but because he was thinking of himself. Apparently, Judas saw his role in Jesus' inner circle as an opportunity to make a buck. Whether that was his plan all along, from the first time he started following Jesus, we don't know. But we know that at least for some time, Judas had made a habit of skimming off the top of Jesus' money bag, funded by the generous supporters of Jesus' ministry. And for a while, Judas had a great con going. On the outside, he looked like a faithful disciple. In private, he was taking advantage of his teacher and his friends. But you start to wonder if, at this point, Judas must have sensed that his con was coming to an end. Jesus had started to say some strange things about his own death, which, if true, would mean the end of Judas's little role in Jesus' merry band. Maybe he was already looking for a way out. And then in the dining room of Simon the leper came the last straw. A flask of perfume, which could have been sold to add thousands to Judas's poor fund, was instead, in Judas's eyes, wasted. At the end of his rope, and sensing that the gravy train was slowing to a halt, Judas cut his losses. He betrayed jesus using jesus to achieve his own selfish ends even to the end it's an interesting thing this picture we get of judas in the gospels he was he was the great betrayer of jesus the the turncoat the he's the prototypical betrayer right and so you might imagine him as this dark, foreboding figure who wanted to take down Jesus all along in a great conspiracy. Instead, the picture we get is of a petty thief, an opportunist who saw a chance to pat his wallet and took it. The Messiah, the incarnate son of God, was betrayed because Judas was promised a little pocket money in return. And I think we need to pay attention to this because as Christians, our most likely road to betraying Jesus isn't marked with a giant sign saying, Betray God here. The more insidious thing is to be slowly lured away into sin and betrayal by following little sinful pleasures which begin to chip away at our allegiance to Christ. It's the small decisions, the small steps towards sin, which over time can compound, turning our hearts cold as we begin to worship idols bit by bit. It doesn't seem like Judas necessarily hated Jesus. He just loved money. Judas betrayed Jesus because he loved money more than Jesus. We ought to keep a watch on ourselves. Are we allowing our love of lesser things, of sinful things, to compete with our love for Jesus? Most people don't just one day up and decide to betray Jesus and throw out Christianity. Instead, it's a long string of small sinful decisions which lead our hearts over time to love sin more than Jesus. One of my professors from Bible College, who's been a pastor in Maine for decades, once shared that every time a young man comes to him, telling him that he's leaving the faith, his first question is to ask how long they've been watching porn and sleeping with their girlfriend. It's a pattern that he's noticed in the lives of these young men, that the small decisions they make in terms of disobedience to Christ add up over time to entrenched habits which have gradually over time won their allegiance away from Christ. And when the time comes that they're actually confronted with the choice either to hold on to Jesus or to hold on to their sin, they choose their sin. Most people don't betray Jesus in a vacuum. They betray Jesus because over time they've come to love something else which is competing with Jesus. More. So I think this should cause us to examine ourselves and ask, us, ask ourselves, when we sin, we're actually saying, along with Judas, this is worth more to me than following Jesus. This, whatever it is, is worth disobeying my master. Even if it's a small choice. Right, that's that's what we're doing. And my prayer is that we would see it that way because our, our hearts are deceitful. It makes it easier to sin, and boy, our hearts find ways to make it easier to sin. It makes it easier to sin if we can convince ourselves that in doing so we're not really personally betraying Jesus. Right? But we are. In knowingly sinning, we say, Jesus, you are not worth what this is worth. Sin is betraying the king for a cheap bribe. When we sin, we're doing the same math Judas did and coming out with the same result. It's never worth it. The bribe is never as good as the God we betray to get it. The end of the Judas option is always regret. It's a beautiful thing to give to Jesus, but it's an ugly thing, a selfish thing, a far too easy thing to betray him. If you're caught in the Judas trap, it's not too late. Let go of whatever it is you're holding on to more tightly than Jesus. See it for what it is, a cheap bribe, keeping you from the God you are made to love and to serve. Confess your sin to God. Confess your sin to a brother or a sister who can help you. Repent of it. Turn from it. Take concrete action not to live like that anymore. And then endeavor to live a beautiful life. Open your life to live like Mary, not like Judas. To pour your life out in loving and following and obeying Jesus, not in betraying him. Judas made some money, but he lost his soul. He was a shell of a man even before the day he hung himself. Mary really lived. Yes, She poured out her most valuable possession, but she never lost her soul. Which was the real waste? The nard poured out in honor of the king or the life hollowed out by lesser pursuits? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way you... um, you ministered to us through it. Pray that we would catch the vision of a beautiful life, a life poured out in worship and of love of you, Jesus. And we really do have so, so many reasons to love you. You have been so good to us, especially in, in light of the weight of our sin, which is great. Our sins are many but your mercy is so much more. We thank you for the forgiveness we've found in Christ, those of us who've called on your name. Pray, Lord, for all of us that you would prick our hearts this week, that you'd show us those ways, even those small ways, that we're taking the bribes of the devil, which promise life, promise happiness, but which end only in fruitlessness and death. Give us vision and clarity to see those things, Lord, and and then the moral courage to be able to stand against them. Give us the power by your Spirit to confess, to repent. It sounds easy. It's real hard. Help us, Lord, as we continue to learn that and to walk in your ways. We pray, Lord, that you'd fill this church with beautiful things, with lives poured out in service to our matchless Savior. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: To that. Uh, turn with me uh, for our final hymn to number 597. Take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. Let's sing the first and the 1, 5, and 6 of 597. 597.